Welcome to Imaginarium, an alternate history of art, a podcast where we delve into the most obscure parts of art history. Hello, dear listeners, I'm your host, Naja, and in this podcast, we try to shed light on less studied parts of the history of art and visual culture. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the art of ornamentalism and miniatures in Algerian art and the cultural impact of Mohamed Rassim and Omar Rassim, who are significant Algerian artists in their times. And to this day, we will explore how the context of the late 19th century and the early 20th century in the Algiers of Atlantis, Algeria, affected the world of art and the artistic practice of the artists. In a time of colonization, the importance of traditional arts and craftsmanship, as well as the protection of one's culture, becomes more important than ever. There is a conscious effort to protect, but also to revitalize Algerian art and culture from the consequences of imperialism. Of course, this phenomenon is not unique to Algeria. In fact, even though I would say that most culture and countries do try to valorize and promote their history and past. However, I think there is a special significance to this art being done by former colonies and people who have lived through a heavy history of oppression and repression and whose history has suffered from a conscious effort to be erased or at least hugely devalued in favor of a cultural hegemony that would place the imperial power in a position of superiority and strength. So the simple art of preserving, learning and sharing becomes one that is fraught with meaning. When it comes to Algerian art and as an Algerian art historian, I always want to acknowledge the depths of suffering and pain imperialism creates and how those scars still influence the lives of people in Algeria today, because it still does in many ways. However, I think even more important than the pain is the talent, the joy and the pride that one can have in one's national heritage. All of this to say, and let's dive in, my darlings. The late 19th century and the early 20th were a fraught period in Algeria, as it was everywhere, I think. As this period is definitely one of transition, with the rapidly changing times and the coming of modernity, and the way the tensions between past, present, and future created a world of possibilities within. It is one of my favorite periods in history, because I think those years from roughly 1880 to 1940 are ones where everything and everywhere just starts moving and changing irreversibly, where we truly go from the traditional kind of world to what we now consider the modern age. And it is in those years that it all played out, 
and it is absolutely fascinating to see how it reflects in the arts and culture. However, living this period while under the rule of a foreign power adds so much more tension to an era that is already one that is fraught with change and extremely rapid technological progress all over the world. The colonization of Algeria started in 1830, after the event of the Fan, which is when the day of Al Jazair, Al Jazair being both the name of the city and of the country. After all, the name of Algeria is what the French occupation named it. And the day is the title uh, that is given to the sovereign of the Algiers Regency. And tired of the way the French were delaying their debt payment towards Algiers, shooed away the French consul with his fan. And this event is what gave an excuse to the French to go on the offensive. After all, El Jazeera was a rich country full of natural resources, and the coffers of the French were empty. And so, after this, followed 132 years of violent colonization, which were only stopped after a violent war of revolution and independence. I do want to put out there that even though I do not condone violence, I think that standing up to injustice is not violence, it's simply what needs to be done. After all, the real violence here was always the cruelty of imperialism. Imperialism is a poison that taints the pages of our history. And yet, as an Algerian art historian, I wish it for it to not be the way Algerian history is remembered. It was extremely important and an event that shaped the march of history and the way we approach history. And I will never minimize its impact and violence that is still felt to this day. However, I would love for Algerian art to be a source of joy, of pride, bringing back dignity to the way art and culture are understood. Instead of the way it had been disseminated by the French, it is distressing to see how so much of the history books being written about Algerian history still are mainly about the French colonialism, as if there is nothing more to our history than the time shared with Europeans. Once again, it is the way Eurocentrism is still the lens history is seen through. And I want to be like very clear that this is not all of the books or all of the sources that you can find. Uh, if you go to Algeria, there's so many new books being written about Algerian culture and history and art. However, so much is still about the French uh, colonization. And I guess I also am, in a way, talking about it. But I really do want to try and put the emphasis on the Algerian artists, works of arts and stylistic movements. There is simply no way to avoid the presence of the French occupation in this story.
but they are not the main characters. Even though it is also my goal to show and explain just to what extent the violence and savagery of colonialism is harmful. But imperialism truly is more insidious and sneaky than one might think. It affects the psyche and the culture in such subtle way. And the wound can still be seen in colonized countries for years and years until it can finally heal. I want to first brush a picture of Algeria, and more specifically, of Algiers, the capital, also known as the White City, because of its white walls and buildings. In 1830 had started what will end up being more than 130 years of violent and oppressive colonization, during which active and often armed resistance to the French regime was the norm. And yet, while those overt and covert movement of resistance and defiance to the colonial regime were still ongoing, by the beginning of the 20th century, Life had settled in an established routine for occupied Algeria. Ultimately, after 70 years of colonization in 1900s, few were alive that still remembered the days before the French took control of the country, even if they were all wishing for the demise of the French regime. The traditional and indigenous arts of Algeria are hugely influenced not only by Amazigh arts and culture, but the influence of Islamic and Ottoman culture, creating a very rich, diverse, and varied scope of arts, crafts, ceramics, and miniatures. The art of the Rasim brothers is very much within the traditional of Islamic art, albeit done with a North African twist which made sense considering they are Muslim and come from a Muslim North African country. Even though the umbrella of Islamic art is one that designates a vast and rich grouping of artistic and formal characteristics, however, as the Muslim world is a wide one, from North Africa to the Middle East and Southeast Asia, and European countries such as Bosnia, Herzegovina, and various Muslim communities across the world. So it goes without saying that each of them will be unique within their very own specific geographical and societal context it fits in. Islamic art in Algeria is very different from Islamic art in Indonesia or Russia. And this is what makes it supremely fascinating. When it comes to Islamic art, at first glance it might all look very similar. But that is only if you have a very basic idea of what it is. There are indeed a lot of visual and common aesthetic sensibility. However, the moment you start looking a tiny bit deeper, you can unravel the complexities and visual subtleties of the Islamic world. There are common points, after all, in culture and language sometimes. Even then, I think, very tenuously, everyone knows that Arabic is 
ten languages under a trench coat pretending to be one language. And most of the biggest countries that are Muslim are neither Middle Eastern nor speak Arabic as their first language. Indonesia, after all, is the biggest Muslim country and is in Asia. The world of art in Algeria in the beginning of the 20th century is one that exists within the control of the French colonial regime, which means that there is a certain rebellion to resisting and fighting the cultural hegemony of French and Western culture, and trying to valorize and uplift typical Algerian and traditional art and cultural heritage by focusing on the arts of ceramics, calligraphy, and miniatures, just to name a few of them. There was a considerate effort that has been made to keep up and preserve the folk arts and the traditions from the deliberate erasure of those by imperialism. The art of calligraphy has a central place in Islamic art because one of the tenets of Islamic art for a very long time was non-representational imagery for a long time. So no people were pictured in the art, which is why the foundations of Islamic art developed a lot around mathematical designs, geometrical patterns and motifs from the natural world. The art of writing becomes integral to visual art, being integrated to works of art and becoming in itself an object of art and beauty. Miniatures and works of ornamentations are pieces that will inform the way we understand and view the Algiers of the past through the scenes and pictures depicted in miniatures of the early 20th century. I am aware that the name of a miniature already explains a lot about what it is. However, to explain it a bit, it is a painting or an illustration that is incredibly small and yet very complex. There is something so very appealing to miniatures. The scope and scale of the art is so tiny. The details are so meticulous and precise. I personally think there is something so special about a piece of art that has an exaggerated sense of scope, either something that is extremely tiny or something that is incredibly big. There is something there at play that interacts with our sense of space, our physicality, and self are being thrown out of proportion, and we have to really put ourselves in context and the way we feel about existing in contrast to those words of art. It makes us feel conscious of our own physicality. But I also do think that those tiny paintings are so very cute. And it's important to know that while works of art often exist uh, in a bigger scale and are often more visible and striking, are I mean, how often does one go to the museum and see a work of art that's several meters by several meters with a lot of presence and impact? However, we should not discount the discreet and understated ways in which a smaller piece of art can affect us. Omar Rasim and Muhammad Rasim 
were both important pillars of the world of art in Algiers in the first half of the 20th century, shaping and building the next generation of artists in the traditional arts of calligraphy, painting, and illumination, and constructing a community of artists with strong ties to each other and to the rest of the Arab world. These brothers come from a long line of artists and craftsmen who encouraged and trained the young men in the fields of calligraphy, miniatures, and painting from a very young age. Their father and uncle, respectively named Ali ben Said Rasim and Muhammad ben Said Rasim, were at the helm of an elimination atelier in the Algerian Trasbah. So both brothers were born in an environment that would foster and encourage the artistic talents and skills, and would eventually join the family business as they grew up. I just want to mention too that their family name, Rasim, means painter or artist, and is a witness of how that family had been working in the arts and craftsmanship for so long. Born on January the 3rd, 1884, in the old Trasbah of Algiers, Omar Rasim, the eldest of the Rasim brothers, was an ornamentalist, a talented calligraphist, as well as a writer, who was very involved in the cultural life of the city in the early 20th century, and was a significant part of the artistic and intellectual circles of Algiers. Omar Rasim played a huge role with the Algerian press and his anti-colonial work for the growth of Algerian resistance and fight for its independence. He died in 1959, a few years after the beginning of the Algerian War of Independence and a few years short of the actual independence. And so he never got to see the end of the war nor the beginning of the independence in 1962, which is somewhat heartbreaking for me. He lived his whole life under the plate of the French occupation, but this is the fate of many who have not lived to see the days where freedom would be gained from the imperial forces, and who have fought and resisted throughout the duration of the French colonization. Omar Rasim wrote a lot of articles and essays in a few journals and magazines of the times. Articles that talked of the societal issues and were very much pro-resistance. He even founded his own journals, Al Jazair in 1908, Al Farouk in 1913, and Dhu Al Fitar in 1913 which got very quickly shut down after only four issues by the French colonial establishment, which tells me they didn't quite like what he was publishing. Omar even got arrested on November 6, 1915, for his political and nationalist ideas, which were strongly anti-colonial, and he was very vocal about them. And I think it's fun, but also kind of terrible and a testament to the oppressive and repressive actions of the colonial regime, how he kept getting in and out of prison for speaking out of 
about the cruelties of imperialism. He got out of prison in 1921 and continued writing on art, music, architecture, and resistance. And yet he did not stop because it was a cause that mattered to him and fighting for justice is never to be taken lightly. The thing is that even if the independence would not happen for another 40 years, however, all of those small acts of resistance and of trying to question and fight the fact that the French had dominion over them as an imperial power, all of that is what slowly builds up to the fateful War of Independence from 1954 to 1962. People will always try non-violent resistance at first. However, at some point, violence unfortunately becomes the only answer. And it will never be as violent as the persecutions and consequences of imperialism. Because you simply cannot pretty please yourself out of <laughs> oppression so you know just something to keep in mind and so for Omar Rasim calligraphy and the written world are part of his fight against colonialism but also of his body of work which is ingratiated in the visual culture of Algiers in the early 20th century with a lot of commercial graphic design and calligraphy for storefronts, for restaurants and tea rooms, and so his aesthetic touch was an example of the art that was in vogue during that era. I absolutely adore the beautiful advertisements for the restaurant Al Badur, and the ornamentation and intricate details are absolutely a sight to behold. He has done posters and advertisements for brands and stores such as the national brand of Hemud Branham, which does sodas and fizzy drinks, with a beautiful calligraphy describing all of the ways it will make your life so much better. And by the way, this brand is still ongoing. Like, my, my mom will only drink Hemud Branham and nothing else. I particularly love his series of small views of the cities in miniature from 1917 to 1918, mostly from Algiers but also from Cairo and the tiny buildings of the city surrounded by beautiful motifs of turquoise, blues and golds are so lovely and the work and the details are so delicate and exquisite. I do think this is my favorite words of his, however, I'm biased and think that most of what he created was magnificent. He opened the school in 1939, where he taught miniatures, ornamentalism, and calligraphy, teaching and guiding young artists, some of which would go on to become successful artists in their own right, such as Mohammed Tamam. So Amara Sim played a vital role in fostering and furthering the practices of traditional Algerian arts. I also have to mention that Omar Sim had a huge amount of style. I'll put some uh, picture on the socials, but the 
outfits, the turbush, the magnificent moustache in his youth. That was one fashionable man. His brother, though, born on the 24th of June, 1896, in the old Kasbah of Algiers. Mohammed Rasim was the younger brother of the two siblings, and while both were extremely successful in the Algerian art scene and in the broader Arab and Islamic world, Mohammed will be the one who will know the most international success. He exhibited across the world from Scandinavian countries to various countries of the Islamic world. His artistic talent was first noted by Prosper Ricard, who was the Inspector of Indigenous Arts, a joke boasting that generally gives me so much grief, but I guess this is what colonialism was. But the fact was that this was a job that was held only, of course, by French people, which is kind of upsetting, but you know, whatever. And in 1910, entered au cabinet de de l'enseignement professionnel, which means the cabinet of drawing professional teaching, as a draftsman, which did started what will be a long and flourishing career. In 1919, he was sent to study in Cordoba and Granada in Spain to learn from the art of Al-Andalus and from the golden age of Muslim Spain. His early career was spent making illuminations for several books, such as Life of the Prophet, written by the painter and artist Nasruddin Dine, who was formerly known as Etienne Dine and was a French painter who came to Algeria first as an Orientalist painter, converted to Islam and changed his name, which is why in this podcast we will use the name he chose for himself. Unlike most of the French people and historians who continue to call him by his French name and do not want to accept the way that he had decided to live his life. But, you know, uh, he depicted the daily Algerian life in a frank and extremely compassionate and tender way, which is so very contrasting with the way Orientalists normally do. His art is full of heart and soul, and it is obvious that he took the time to view the people he drew from a very intimate perspective as he became one of them. Instead of the way the Orientalists created art from a distance, often as if they were painting unknowable, mysterious beings instead of fellow human beings. But, you know, that's the brain rot that colonialism gives people sometimes. Mohammed Rassim continues to illustrate and decorate books from the English version of Omar Khayyam by E.G. Brown or The Thousand and One Nights, which was a work of art that took him eight years and they gave him the time and resources to travel and visit museums. He won the 1933 Grand Prix Artistique d'Algérie and was the first Algerian artist to do so. 
which goes to show that the French occupation was overlooking and devaluing the work of the indigenous artists. The Grand Prix Artistique was only won by French artists living in Algeria, colonizers, and not by actual Algerian artists. And so the world of art in Algeria was just another reflection of the French occupation. Mohamed Rassim's career continued to do extremely well, and he was induced into the Royal Society of Miniaturists in England as a honorary member from 1950 onwards, and eventually became a professor at the Academy of Fine Arts in Algiers. He was defining the image of Algeria abroad, with his miniatures depicting scenes from daily Algerian life or from history. Mohamed Rassim's art was reminiscent of an Algerian society of yesteryear, that even in the first half of the 20th century had a feeling of a once upon a time that was already long gone by. It was the image of a society and an ideal that was well past in the 1930s already. His art was very much reflecting an idea of an Algeria that could have been. It was dreams of what would never happen under the colonial regime that idealized and romanticized the version of reality was not a real one after all. The art of both Mohammed Rasim and Omar is an idealized landscape of pre-colonial Algeria, an era that neither of the men had known, and at the time where they were both adults was no longer remembered by anyone alive anymore. It had already been generations, and the memory of the Algeria that was before the French occupation was now in a distant past. Mohammed has said he wanted to fix the memory of this Arab and Algerian culture that was deeply changed and broken by the imperial violence of France. However, this construction of the past as a method of resistance, but also as a way to reconstruct and rebuild an understanding of a history that had been slowly eroded by imperialism and an oppressive, violent regime, was a fantasy. However, a fantasy that was needed as a form of cultural resistance. The seeds of revolution were always planted in the heart of the Algerian fight against French imperialism. They were always trying to fight against the colonial regime, with or without violence. But unfortunately, it always leads to violence because you cannot speak or debate your way out of a colonial enterprise. Revolution is violent as it should be. And it is only in response to an even crueler violence. And as Franz Fanon said, in relation to imperialism, and honestly, if you are going to read an author about colonialism and imperialism, you have to make it Franz Fanon. And make it either The Wretched of the Earth or A Dying Colonialism. Those books were written in 1961 and 1959, respectively, 
in the heart of the independence movement that was sweeping the colonized nations across the globe as they fought to retain their independence from the Western powers. And, quote, Imperialism leaves behind germs of rot which we must clinically detect and remove from our land, but from our minds as well. Unquote. I think this summarizes so efficiently all of the ways imperialism is something that will influence our ways of thinking, our culture, and social mores. It is something that is so pervasive and that we need to constantly have to deconstruct within ourselves. In 1963, Mohamed Alassim was part of the exhibit of Algerian painters, an exhibit that took place after the independence of Algeria in 1962. And he took on the role of counselor to the Minister of Culture becoming even more entrenched within the artistic community of the city. In 1965, he created a few new stamps as a sign of a new nationalism, while establishing a new identity to a country that had newly gained its independence. So in a way, Rasim continues to take an integral part in the visual and cultural construction of Algerian identity. And I think it's important to underline how those three stamps that he made truly valorized and shone a light on Algerian culture. The characters on those stamps were wearing beautiful traditional outfits and were surrounded by traditional instruments such as the mandolin and the derbuka and decorated with traditional tea sets and objects. The art of the miniature is one that goes well with it, the medium of stamps with their already reduced canvas and scale. And so it gives itself really well to the talent of Mohamed Rasim in making art on a smaller scale. Which, by the way, I do really want to make at some point an episode on stamp because I think there is so much to be said about stamps, but... That is something for the future. The style of these stamps is evocative of Mohamed Rasim's general oeuvre, with the bright colours and the decorative calligraphy and patterns. The art of Mohamed Rasim is hugely inspired and influenced by the techniques and visuals of the Persian and Mughal paintings and miniatures. And it's that blend of influences combined with his knowledge of art and calligraphy and miniatures that he was taught in his family atelier in the Casbah of Algiers, that created what would become a very identifiable artistic style. The colors are often vibrant and vivid, and he manages to create a distant visual style that truly puts his North African and Algerian identity in focus and highlights all of the complexities and refinement that made him an incredibly talented artist. He makes a visible and conscious effort to counteract the influences of Orientalist art, which were degrading and patronizing, and puts forth an image of Algeria that feels true. 
Unfortunately, Mohammed Rasim died murdered in his house in 1975 in what are still unsolved and mysterious circumstances. However, he left an artistic and cultural legacy that cannot be ignored. Most of the collection of his works of art is stored in the Museum of Fine Arts of Algiers, where it is possible to visit and look at his body of work. Art is a form of resistance in an age of colonialism and imperialism, as a form of conscious protestation to an oppressive establishment. And it is important when you are under the control of an empire to protect and preserve it from erasure and the danger of being integrated into the empire. And so a knowledge of art and history are absolutely primordial to do so. The appreciation and conservation of folk and indigenous art and culture and the protection of knowledge and the division of that knowledge and the art that was created is just a really good way to broaden the scope of what kind of art is valuable and worth knowing about. A lot of the information that I have given you in today's episode comes from a book that I bought the time I was in Algeria during the summer, maybe five years ago, which to this point feels like a lifetime ago. And this book is huge, lush, and informative. And I love this initiative to bring to the public accessible information about artists that impacted the world of art concretely. With imperialism, tangible pieces and morsels of history are scattered across the globe, disseminated sometimes in Algeria, but most of the time somehow finding their ways in Western museums to be displayed as prized objects. But there is no significant historical and emotional value to those objects being there instead of in their original contacts before they were stolen. The lack of contact and that lack of historical significance truly cheapens the understanding of that art. There is the example of the scrolls of Algerian fighters that are conserved in a French museum. And it just shows you the absolute disregard for people's humanity and the disrespect and contempt that people still hold. And we need to acknowledge the cruel history and crime that were committed by the French Empire, for which they never made any true reparations. After all, they're just trying to sweep that under the rug and talking about how it is all long gone. But most of... The independences that happened were in the 50s and 60s, and that is truly not that long ago. And the fact remains that people deserve their dignity, even after their death. And keeping trolls in the museum as a sort of war prize is just another violent crime committed by the French upon their colonies and now former colonies. Artistic and cultural institutions like museums 
continue to have very fraught relationships with the notions of empire, as it is something that has been born out of the empire. And so the inner workings of these institutions are imbued with imperialism from the inside out. The art world, in the way that it is set up now, is still a tool for modern imperialism. And it is only by dismantling the way we think about artistic and historical preservation. And most importantly, the diffusion and exhibition of art, history and culture that we will be able to find new solutions to the problems of museum and exhibits. When we talk about giving back the artifact to the countries of origin, I know that it is a conversation that continues to be very complicated in some ways. However, the basis of it all is just to give justice and to right those incredible wrongs that have been committed, and giving back history and culture to those it had been stolen from. It is a good first step, at least I think. And there are more and more instances of countries claiming their historical items back, and I have good hope that the institutions of art and culture will change and evolve for the better in time. The construction of Algeria's modern art world was made within the context of the French regime, from Omar and Mohamed Rassim to Bayam Hayadeen and Mohamed Tamam. Algerian artists were also swept away by modernity and the rapid changes and progress of the early 20th century. They were trying new techniques and experimenting with art all the while preserving the traditional and cultural influences to create a blend of something absolutely unique. This is a story whose origin is very much set in the space of the city of Algiers, in the heart of the Casbah, where two brothers first learned how to paint and how to write beautifully, and the story reflects the beauty and the struggle of a city and of a country. On this, my darling listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of Imaginarium. I hope it was fun and we'll meet again next month for a new episode and new deep dive in another lesser known subject of art history and visual culture. If you want to support this podcast, you can do so on patreon.com slash I want to take this opportunity to thank my patrons Meili, Chunli Tepechinuyan, Sam Hurst, Natalie Sladet, Jemison Hollybert, Jad, Amanen, and Carter J. Tane. Thank you all for the support you give this podcast. It means the absolute world to me. Otherwise, talk about it to anyone you'll think will like it. And as the YouTubers say, as always, all of the relevant images will also be on all of our social platforms at imaginarium underscore pod on Instagram as well as on Twitter. This podcast was narrated, produced, and written by yours truly, Najah. On this, I wish you all a very lovely day, evening, or night. And I hope to see you again.
very very soon